Hello and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 20 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and today I'm joined by Niels from our EU team. Hi, Niels. Hey, everyone. And as I'm on vacation this week, but we'll be back uh, as our fellow co-host for the next episode. But this, uh, for this special UK episode, we have our UK membership engagement manager, Stephen Tulip. Hey, Stephen, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. In this episode, we're talking about Internet of Things technology, IoT technology, from the technology itself to the potential policy uh, that could impact the future of innovation. We've talked about SEPs and the IoT space on the podcast before, and it's clear there's a lot going on here, and our members are at the forefront of it. Innovating in this space comes with several implications for the licensing of patents and could lead to complications for sm small businesses creating connected health. So after we take a deep dive into the SEP space, we're being joined by Kirsten Hancock, one of our, the founders of member company Blue Maestro. And she's going to talk about Blue Maestro's work innovating in the IoT sector of the app economy. And somehow it's going to be connected to keeping chimps happy and preserving 16th century art. But first, a bit of tech history and the top tech headlines in Europe. In February 1963, 59 years ago this month, Jaap Hasten was born. That name won't ring a bell to most of us, but his invention certainly will. It's Bluetooth. In 1994, he laid the foundations for the system that was later known as the Bluetooth wireless technology, enabling connections between seemingly endless array of, of devices. A year later, while in Sweden, the Dutch electrical engineer was tasked with finding a new solution for short-range radio connections that would add functionality to mobile phones and enable new sales. He later also served as chairman for the Bluetooth Special Interest Group, driving the standardization of the Bluetooth radio interface. During that time, he played an important role in obtaining worldwide regulatory approval for the Bluetooth technology. So we have to thank him not only for the innovation of Bluetooth for our devices, but also his standardization. And the rest is tech history. And now it's time for Brussels Bytes. Stephen, Niels, what are the latest top tech headlines? On the 2nd of February, the European Commission presented its new standardization strategy, meant to ensure that European interests and values are reflected in international standards. The strategy document outlines a renewed commitment from the EU to engage in the definition of technological standards for emerging technologies, where it feels companies from the US and China are currently the driving force. The proposal includes rules to curb voting power of large multinational companies in very specific circumstances where the Commission asks to create a standard. By focusing on small businesses, the Commission is also committing to increase the inclusiveness of SMEs in the standard setting process, as well as improving the readability and accessibility of standards. The hit app Wordle, where players get six chances to guess a five-letter word, has been acquired by the New York Times company. The app was created by Josh Wardle, who's a Welsh software engineer based in Brooklyn. 
It was invented originally for his partner and him to play a game as part of their morning routine because they're both big fans of word games. The app was first uh, released on a no frills ad free website in October and it had about 90 users on the first day in November. That number grew to 300,000 by the middle of this month and now millions play the game daily. The New York Times said it bought the hit word game for its creator from a price of the low seven figures. A historic plunge in the stock price of Meta, Facebook's parent company, has raised more than 230 US dollars, 230 billion US dollars in its market value. This is easily the biggest one-day loss in history for a US company. After the company's data collection and advertising-driven model was hit hard by increased privacy features on Apple's iOS, the 26.4% wipeout comes amid concerns about the social media platform's future after the company reported its first ever drop in daily user numbers. And that's all for Brussels Bytes. We're diving into all things IoT and SEPs for this month, policy discussion and member spotlight. Later on, we're going to be joined by Kirsten Hancock, co-founder of member company Blue Maestro, to talk about the business, the technology they create, and how they and other small businesses in the app economy could be affected by standard essential patent abuse and unfair licensing practices. But before we get to all that, um, we're going to do some scene setting and check with our UK membership and engagement manager, Stephen. Um, so Stephen, what about these SEBs? You're speaking to our UK members on a daily basis. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about what you've been learning from our UK members and what you're up to over there? Thanks, Morgan. And yeah, so in the UK, we are a fairly broad church in terms of membership. We've got companies that make connected devices. We've got companies who use IoT modules to make their existing products smarter. And we've got companies that use um, that develop software that relies on the data collected by IoT sensors. So it's quite a, um, a wide range of companies that we have. They're all SMEs and they're all actually interested in the impact of standard technologies and standard essential patents on their businesses. Um, so what that means is that in order to be successful in what they do, they rely on their products connecting to the internet or they rely on data collected from those connections. And so we'll come on in a minute to explain about standard essential patents and why they're important to that feature. So our members, uh, and not only in the UK, but also around the world, employ the use of standards regularly and some actions in the standard setting space are giving our members cause of concern, but can, can you tell us uh, more exactly what those concerns are? Of course. So I think, first of all, let's explain what a standard is. So if you live in the UK, your house will have three pin plug sockets and every house you go into will have the same. That's because they are the standard. And it means that whenever you buy an appliance, you know that wherever you go, you can plug it in and it will work. And it's the same with technology. If you're talking about wirelessly connected to the internet. There are standard technologies that let you do this. 3G, 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, they're the technologies that everyone uses. And that means that if you make a product that connects wirelessly to the internet and you use one of these standards, it will interact and work with other products that do the same. Now, these technologies are effectively bundles of individual patents. There could be hundreds or even thousands of patents inside, let's say, 5G. 
And standard essential patents are the names given to these patents. They are the patents that are necessary for a standard technology like 5G to operate. Now, where it gets a bit complicated is the licensing of these patents because the people who own the patents, the um, SEP holders, commit to licensing them to, um, to people on what's called fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory terms, which is often shortened to FRAND. Now, the issue we've got is that the definition of fair and reasonable and non-discriminatory is very vague. And as with any business negotiation, one party's definition of fair might be very different from the other party's definition of fair. And particularly where this relates to SMEs, there is a problem. And that's because if the SME doesn't agree with the uh, definition of fair, then their only resolution is to go through the courts. And that is expensive. SMEs often don't have the, the time or the resources to do that, and they certainly don't have the in-house expertise. So SMEs are at a bit, bit of a disadvantage. And well, what does it mean for SMEs if they don't license these SEPs? Well, put simply, it means they can't use the technologies. If they are found to be using a standard technology without having paid the royalty fee for the standard essential patents that make it work, then they could be um, hit with a big bill, so they could have a massive unexpected cost. Um, which would really impact their ability to be profitable. Or in worst case scenarios, they could actually be hit with an injunction that stops them selling their product in certain markets until the SEP issue is resolved. So it could be, it's a potentially a very significant issue for SMEs who operate on often fairly tight financial models. So what can SMEs do about it? Well, in the short term, it's important that they understand their exposure to um, standard essential patents. So if they are making a technology that connects wirelessly to the internet, they're probably using a SEP, a standard essential patent. So they need to look into this, find out what patents they're using and find out if they are responsible for the royalty fee that needs to be paid for their use. In the long term, what um, ACT, the App Association is seeking, is clarification on this idea of fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory. We want to um, engineer a situation where when SMEs enter into negotiations about the fees that they pay for accessing standard essential patents, that they, um, they, know, they know the boundaries that they're operating in. They know broadly what fair looks like. They know broadly what reasonable looks like. And we think that that increased transparency will make it easier for SMEs to access these technologies and therefore make it easier for them to innovate and create new products, which for the UK is really useful for boosting our economy, it's useful for boosting our skills, and it's useful for, for this idea of regional levelling up that we're, um, that we're so keen on as a nation. It's also an interesting time for standard essential patents in the UK because the IPO, the Intellectual Property Office, has recently released a call for views or a call for evidence on the issue of SEPs. So what they're asking is for businesses to explain how licensing SEPs works for them, any issues they encounter, what works well, what doesn't work so well. And what could happen is that they decide that a change needs to be made. So we're encouraging as many SMEs as possible to participate in this process because we think that this is a very important topic for SMEs and by participating in this process, their voice and their views will be heard in any potential resolution. So it's a busy few months for uh, ACT in the UK and for the SEP word in general. And yeah, thanks for giving us the time to talk about it.
Well, Stephen, thank you so much for all that info and for joining us for this conversation. Um, a lot has been said, so we'll be sure to link all the relevant blogs and content um, Stephen and the team have rolled out related to SEPs and IoT um, in the show notes of this episode. And with that, I'm going to hand it uh, over to Stephen for our member spotlight. Today for Member Spotlight, we're being joined by Kirsten Hancock, one of the founders of member company Blue Maestro, for a deep dive into the technology they create, the impact of their IoT innovations, and how the current patent landscape impacts innovators. This UK-based company, with staff all around the world, designs and builds custom IoT sensors that deliver app-based data management. And better yet, all of this information is accessible from a mobile device, giving their wide range of clients and customers the most up-to-date information. But before I go on too much, Kirsten, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join you today. Um, and it's a pleasure to be associated with the App Association. Oh, thanks, Kirsten. We're really glad, really glad you could join us. Um, and we're really excited that you can join us. And since it's your first time in our podcast, um, could you tell us a bit more about you and your company, please? Okay, so Blue Maestro was founded about 10 years ago, just uh, at the inception of Bluetooth technology by my husband Richard Hancock and myself. At the time we were both working full-time jobs in inner city London and we decided that because of our interest in technology and um, our situations in life at the time that we'd start uh, Bluetooth technology that really excited us at the time. Now we knew nothing about Bluetooth um, technology so um, we set about uh, developing our products um, and learning about how to incorporate technology into user-friendly products that could be used to monitor temperature and humidity. So uh, we started uh, 10 years ago and now we have offices all around the world. Uh, I'm based in Houston, Texas. I um, came to Houston just before the outbreak of COVID to set up our office here and to to uh, develop our customers' customer base in, in the medical field and oil technology in Houston in particular. Uh, but we are a UK-based company and we manufacture our electronics in the UK and um, I hope to get back there very soon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we, um, we employ uh, staff uh, all around the world and, and they do different tasks for us. We have an assembly house in the UK and also one in Houston. Our uh, technical team are based in, in Europe, in the United States and in the UK. Um, I have absolutely loved developing our company. Um, it, it's, been, it's been challenging, but also it's so rewarding. Fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting to hear about a company that um, it's, you know, has, has grown and expanded around, around the world at the speeds at which ours has. And just giving a sneak peek of what we're going to talk about in a second, it's because the products that you do have such a wide range of uses and are, are incredibly innovative. And, you know, on that subject, we mentioned earlier in the podcast that we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, animals in the zoo and saving uh, 16th century art. And I'm sure our listeners are scratching their heads about exactly how how that all works. So, yeah, would you mind filling us in of what we were talking about there? So we have um, a, a lot of relationships with 
uh, zoos around the world, but in particular, we have a very close relationship with Chester Zoo. Now, that we've, we've worked closely with them to um, de develop their technology to use within um, their rare breeding program, in particular with hornbills that are uh, extinct. So they they monitor not only the hornbills, but um, uh, reptiles, amphibians, to monitor their conditions for the, the well-being of their, their wildlife. It's really important, uh, according to UK law, that they, they monitor the temperature in particular and make sure that the animals' um, uh, well-being are, are, are properly looked after it according to their conditions. So uh, um, hornbills actually build a nest completely around themselves when they're breeding and hatching their, their chicks. And what, what um, Chester Zoo have done is they have installed a tempo disc inside these nests so that they can monitor the incubation of the eggs remotely so that they're not disturbing the animals at all. Um, yeah, so it, it's it, because of its size, because it's so small, they can, they can insert it um, very easily and it's very robust so it's kept in good condition and because of its um, uh, its radio um, frequency they can draw data from it from from afar wow it's, it's really interesting and yeah really important for the welfare of, of those animals so how how does the is it the same technology that helps protect the artwork as well yeah, so um, we, we've worked in, in, um, in particular in Petworth House in, in West Sussex. They have a number of um, very fine um, uh, pictures that are starting to mould on the inside of their frames. And so they need to be, the, the pictures have to be taken apart and the glass has to be clean and the inside has to be resealed up and so um, we have we've used um, tempo disc in inserting in the back of the paintings to monitor the the temperature but most importantly the humidity because it's it's the humidity of the inside of the painting the room and then the outside conditions um, Petworth house is quite an old house and they had quite a few of their walls uh, are very uh, a solid concrete and they, they are um, ideal for mold growing so they have they've used tempo disc in the back of their paintings to to monitor the exact conditions that's really interesting and it must have been, the house i'm in now my house was built in the late 1800s and i can absolutely attest to the fact that it gets a bit damp and cold in the winter um, so that's yeah, it's fantastic, and I think my understanding is that it's worked so well that other national trust properties use the technology as well. That's correct. We've got a number of national trust properties around the around the UK who use Tempo Disc um, in their in their galleries, but that's extended because of the success of those those programs that we've um, been involved in. That's extended to um, out galleries around the world. Um, we have famous art galleries in the US, the Heinberg, um, also the art gallery in Singapore, they they use tempo disc in in monitoring their temperature and humidity 
Um, we also have a relationship with um, National Archives and they use them in DeepStore. So, um, yeah, TempoDisc is it's ideal if you want to monitor uh, the temperature and humidity of something, but you don't want to disturb it. So um, you can insert it in the, in the environment where you need to find those particular data points and then uh, monitor it away from the, the, um, that particular piece of art. Mm. No, it, it sounds like both of the examples that you've given there, it, you know, the technology is playing a crucial role in, you know, keeping something very important safe, be it artwork or, a, or even an animal. Um, so what other technologies have you used and what other applications are there? Because I know you're working across a whole wide spectrum of different things. Yeah, the the zoo environment and the the galleries environment is only part of the work that we do. We we have since since the outbreak of COVID, we've been more involved with the transportation and storage of pharmaceuticals around the world. We are the only um, at Tempo Disc is the only Bluetooth sensor pre-approved by the WHO to use. Um, in the transportations of immunization in developing countries and we're presently in the process of applying for the same um, approval from the UN so um, we we are we are tempo Dix is, is becoming more important in that um, transportation and and at because you can time and dance time and date stamp the data across uh, many days or weeks or months you can see particular data points where where the temperature has gone out of range and vaccinations become spoiled but we also work um, in the prosthetics business um, for compliance of uh, the use of prosthetics uh, especially with back braces we have um, we've got quite a lot of uh, hospitals around the world now who insert tempo desk into back braces so that they can see how long a patient wears their back brace for for compliance issues um, yeah that's just a few of the examples that we use I mean we have many more um, you know it's amazing. I mean, I think we, we so we, we talk a lot about how sort of great our members are and we talk about how brilliant SMEs can be. But, you know, the, the technology that you've developed and that you have, you know, that you've grown around the world is genuinely, you know, improving and saving lives. It's 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 really impressive. And, you know, I think it's it's something that there's often not a lot of recognition for that, you know, companies like yours are, you know, doing absolutely crucial work that are, you know, helping helping vaccines in um, in the developing world or helping people with life changing injuries feel better. And it's yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we, our whole my whole team works really hard. Um, uh, they're, they're a great team to work with. Everyone's inspired by by the companies that we work with. Um, so thank you very much. And the, so the, the, te the technologies that you're using are all in the, you know, the Internet of Things space. So what kind of specific technologies and standards do you and your team find yourself using? So the most important standard that we use is, is uh, Bluetooth. Now, this is Bluetooth technology is the most important 
technology for using our devices as most of our customers use Tempo Disc with a phone or a tablet and so they communicate directly in real time with each other. We also rely on uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, we have a gateway so that you can look at your devices anywhere, anytime, anywhere around the world. So um, the, these two standards are most important for using uh, Tempo Disc in the mobile industry. Got it. So yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that you rely quite heavily on standards and that your products need them to work and that, you know, in order to create the, the value for your customers and make sure your products work, that standards are pretty, pretty crucial to what you do. They're very crucial. It's it's been really um really inspiring talking to you. I mean, just going on the, the standards piece, you know, those sorts of technologies and the technology that you've worked on, as we've discussed, are helping animals, helping artwork, helping people with with medical issues it's really really interesting and i think as well for our other members it's not just the fantastic work that you're doing but the fact that in only 10 years you've you know you've grown from um a couple of people with a with a really good idea to a global company selling selling around the world and changing people's lives so thank you you know so much for joining us and i guess the last question is how do people find out more about you how can you know how can people find out more so you can check out our website, which is www.bluemaestro.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, um, on Facebook, uh, and um, or you can check out my LinkedIn profile, Kirsten Hancock. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for having me. It's really been um, rewarding talking to you. Sometimes we forget in the trenches how hard we work and you know how far we've come in the last few years um it's a really exciting space to be in there's so much um so much potential in this bluetooth space to you know develop so we have a really bright future and um we're really excited about where we're going and the new products that we're about to release Oh, that's that's great, and we're looking forward to having you back on in in maybe a year or so, and finding out about all the all the new and exciting things you've been working on. And for our listeners, if you are interested in hearing more about, in especially that zoo project or the artwork project, we are going to be releasing a member spotlight on Blue Maestro, which will be live on the website by the time this podcast goes out, and will be available in the uh, notes. Uh, with the show as well so thanks again Kirsten it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you Stephen take care and now it's time for random identifiers Niels uh, you're up first yeah, I was browsing the internet and I saw uh, a headline of a team breaking uh, 18 Guinness World uh, Records and they, they had an attempt at 22. It's apparently a basketball team somewhere in Harlem, um, but I found it an interesting story nevertheless. So um, one of their um, team members has unfortunately passed away and he had played 22 uh, seasons wearing the hoodie of, of 22 or, or uh, number 22 on his jersey so um, they decided to honor him with um, Guinness World Records so I found that particularly impressive so I wanted to give him a shout out here on the podcast so sorry I didn't get it so is it like, what what's the what's the record about 
So they broke 22 Guinness World Records, or they, oh, they attempted to break. Yeah, they they attempted to break 22, and they broke 18 in the end, which is, to be fair, still quite impressive. Okay, that's a nice one. We should do that. Uh, should we do that as a team? We can well? give it a go. One <laughs> or two. <laughs> so, um, Stephen, what's your random identifier? I've uh, I've really focused in in the random part of the random identifier today. <laughs> And I'm going to talk to you about what is possibly the first extreme sport. So about two miles from where I live is the home of a sport called cheese rolling, which uh, our listeners around the world might have heard of it. It was There was a Netflix documentary about it last year. It's a 600-year-old sport, at least 600 years old. And what happens is people go to the top of a very, very steep hill, which is almost, I've seen it in real life, it's almost vertical. They all line up and they throw a big wheel of cheese down the hill that weighs about five kilograms and then they run down the hill and the person who gets to the bottom first gets to keep the cheese now every year people get seriously injured doing this because it's incredibly dangerous and the house at the bottom of the hill has big holes in the wall where the cheese has hit it like a cannonball um, and what I find particularly fun about it is that, you know, with safety at heart they're not, you know, even though people are running down this steep hill and injuring themselves, they're not completely reckless. So at the bottom of the hill, to stop people running into the house and hurting themselves, they have the local rugby team. So if you make it to the bottom of the hill without falling over, and it looks like you're going to run into the house, one of the rugby team will kindly tackle you to the floor so that you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> as a buffer. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> as a buffer, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, look up Gloucestershire cheese rolling. It's, uh, yeah, the world's first extreme sport. But how heavy are those cheese? Like, uh, I'm struggling to imagine it's, a cheese so, that would actually break, break a wall. So... Well, that's speed, it, it, I mean, it's got it. Yeah, in terms of size, if you think about... Um, it's about the size of a football. So it's quite a big, heavy thing. It weighs about five kilograms, and by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill, it's going really, really fast. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's effectively like a uh, like a cannonball by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. I had no idea that existed, but I'm not surprised. So um, yeah, well, talking about safety, I'm going to give my random identifier. It's a, it's a bit more serious, actually. I'm sorry to to break the mood, but actually, um, this week is um, was Safer Internet Day. Uh, in the EU, uh, actually across the world, and it's a day that really tries to bring awareness to online safety and and security. It's celebrated every year in uh, on the second day of the second week of the second month of the year. So uh, it's on the eighth of February two thousand twenty-two, um, and this initiative was led by uh, it's a joint initiative by InSafe and InHope. Um, networks in, a, in the EU supported by the European Commission and now it's, 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 a, it's a global initiative. And this year they focus on um, making it together for a better internet kind of campaign. So to make sure that all stakeholders uh, try to make internet a better place. So there are a lot of information out there uh, on safeinternet.org website when you can sort of see all the events and initiatives going on in your own region. So I just encourage um, everybody to, to go in and see. And also on our website and actonline.org, we've 
rolled out so much content about security, privacy, how to make internet a better, um, a safer place. So I would encourage all our listeners to to go there. And so that's it for my random at the file. Not about yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, a safer internet and cheese rolling is something we can all get behind. <laughs> Thank you, Nils. Well, we've reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 20 of our Global Tech One podcast. And if you're interested in learning more, you can head over to our website on uh, actonline.org slash techswamp, where you'll find our show notes. And we also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes, as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for Techswamp. You can subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get your latest episode first. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you all for listening, and bye for now. Bye. Bye. <laughs>